springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Every bunny loves honey-glazed carrots, a great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Wine is made in virtually every country in the world, and I'm ready to give you a tour to find the right one. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers! And welcome back to Fair Game, the podcast with a firm focus on Irish sportswomen coming to you on the Head Stuff Podcast Network. I'm Emily Glenn. Fair Game went on a longer than planned hiatus in 2018, but we're back curating the same stream of news, views and opinions about Irish sportswomen that you've come to know and love. But this time we have a new co-host. We're joined full time by the former Irish international footballer who's been a familiar face in the ranks of Shelburne Women's Football Club in recent years. Before playing for Shells, Shauna Cook also graced the green fields as part of the Arsenal WFC squad. Shauna, you're very welcome to Fair Game. Thanks, Emily. I'm delighted to be joining you as co-host. Before we tell you any more about this episode, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at FairGameCast to stay up to speed on everything happening in women's sport on and off the field. Rate and review us on iTunes and share this episode on Twitter and Facebook. Go on, you know you want to. And don't forget you can find us on headstuff.org for a full archive of episodes. And Fair Game is also available to subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher and Spotify. If you enjoy the podcast, then do us a favour and rate it and review it on your app of choice. The girls in green will line out in Donnybrook Stadium Friday 1st of February for the opening game of the Irish Rugby Women's 2019 Six Nations campaign. It's been a busy two years for the women of Irish rugby since they hosted the Women's World Cup in 2017. With the introduction of some seriously talented new players and a fresh-faced new captain to invigorate the squad. At the same time, some huge figures in the world of Irish rugby retired after the World Cup and questions arose about the priorities of the governing body. So as the 2019 Women's Six Nations series kicks off, we want to know what is the state of play in Irish rugby? And here in the front row to help us tackle that question and give us some insights into the campaign are two titans of the sport. In the Fair Game Hot Seat tonight, we are joined by a woman who is one of only three Irish captains to lead their team to Grand Slam glory and the only one to conquer the mighty All Blacks. Upon her retirement in August 2014, after 13 years of service to her country, she'd notched up an unbelievable 85 caps. Fiona Coughlin, welcome back to Fair Game. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. And we're spoiled for choice tonight, as in the other Fair Game hot seat is a woman who holds two Six Nation medals in her collection, having been a vital part of the Grand Slam winning team in 2013. The former Leinster rugby captain played in Ireland's World Cup squads in 2014 and 2017, after which she decided to retire. Ailish Egan, or Ailish Marden Egan as it is now, welcome to Fair Game. Thanks, great to be here. Well done on getting the name right. Thanks. She's Pre- delighted. the pressure. <laughs> she's delighted she's won over me. She's an extra medal. Like, she's <laughs> I thought you were going to say she had an extra surname. Well, that too. <laughs> she's an extra medal. <laughs> Uh, listen, you've both played in your share, uh, your fair share of uh, Six Nations campaign and looking ahead to, to Friday, uh, for the listeners, we're recording this on the Tuesday, so a couple of days before the match. So looking ahead to, to Friday, we imagine that the first game of the series is pretty special. Um, give us an idea of what goes on for the team ahead of the opening match of the Six Nations campaign. 
I don't, I don't think it's just the first game. I just think the Six Nations is a really special tournament. Um, it's probably the premier annual tournament anywhere in the world, particularly in the women's game, because there's very little stuff, you know, with the rest of the season. And particularly in the Southern Hemisphere, there's not a lot going on yet. So it's a hugely exciting tournament. And I think the buzz around it in the last number of years has grown. And uh, Christmas is always tough because you've either a fitness test before Christmas, straight after Christmas. You're in training camps um, you've training games and everything. So you don't really get to enjoy Christmas, but it's definitely all worth it when the first weekend of February rolls around and any of your name is on that on that squad. And I'm sure the 23 girls that were, were named um, are just hugely excited to get out and play. Yeah, and especially like against England on a Friday night in Donnybrook, like you'd be absolutely buzzing to get out there. Um, I know from speaking to a few of the girls, they are absolutely raring to go. Um, so the nerves will be there, especially for the first caps. But like, you know, England, first game of the campaign, can't get better than that. So Fiona, you've had some success as a captain. Um, some success. Yeah, well, a lot of success. Well, more, more losses, actually, <laughs> probably, but uh, they're well in the past. Yeah, but I suppose give us a bit of an insight into what it takes to kind of get the team believing they can go toe-to-toe with a country like England and, and win. Yeah, I suppose it was years of kind of, I suppose, development and, and that culture piece. And it wasn't just down to one person and me. I think the whole management structure that we got in 2013-2014 season was brilliant. You know, Goose had been there in 20, when 2006 World Cup then he went away he came back again 2010 he knew his strengths he knew his weaknesses and he brought in like management around him to support him and what he's good at and likewise with the squad um, we had some really experienced heads but we had some really fresh young faces as well and I think it was just the amalgamation of everything that came together and we had a really good culture and I know that that's a buzzword that's thrown around a lot but um, we did have a really good culture about standards and professionalism although we were complete amateurs that everything we did we would do in the most professional manner that we could um, and I think that it all just kind of came together in 2013 and the kind of run of games we were lucky in 2013 the first mm-hmm. one against Wales we could have lost it you know and then once we got over that um, momentum kind of built and even the last game it was a bad game of rugby but uh, I, we were always the better team and uh, I think that was it though it was the team not just the 23 on the mm-hmm. squad, it was the outer squad and the management team that just kind of everything gelled together at the right time. And um, yeah, like it was. I think brilliant. it probably really started in 2011. Mm. Like 2011, the second fresh... year you started. Is that when yeah, you... absolutely. <laughs> Is that when no. you got your ribs broken yeah, that's by England because you didn't but, know what you were doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that that's the example. In 2011, we didn't have a scrummaging coach. Okay. I, got, I got my ribs broken in my second cap. Rocky well. Clark basically ripped my ribs out, scrum by scrum. They were getting torn away from the cartilage. And um, so that was a baptism That's, of fire. Oh, okay, but, you know, after that campaign, we ended up with a scrummaging coach, Justin Fitzpatrick. That helped us in 2012 to, I guess, bed down our scrum, bed down our set piece. And I thought that game in, I think it was Isha in 2012, it was six all at half time. And that's the first time, I think, in an Irish jersey, and I'd only been there two seasons, but we genuinely believed, yeah, we can go we can go head-to-head with these. Um, unfortunately, about the 60-minute mark, we all started to die. But I think it was from that point onward, you know, we had better setup, better support mm-hmm. from the RFU in terms of personnel, management, coaches. And then in 2013, everything started to click. I think that trip to France in 2012 was real galvanising yeah. as well. You know, the horrible trip that's been well documented and bad travel. But we actually played quite well that day. And it was another moment. We never, we still have never beaten France in France. But we came so close that ga- we'd uh, tried this allowed. And, you know, there was a real sense mm-hmm. of even though we'd lack of sleep, our performance that day was actually yeah. quite good. And um, it's not as what if we had a night's sleep, would we want it? We knew we were there or thereabouts. So, and it was a real galvanising the... 
I think the way the team responded to when something went really wrong that we couldn't control was just really a, a level of maturity to kind of that we hadn't seen in the squad before. What about on, on Friday, Fiona? What will Kira be saying to the girls before they come out? Like, what will her inspirational messages be? Yeah, like I've never played with Kira, so I, I don't know what she's like in the dressing room. She comes across as being really unassuming and a really hardworking captain and just leads by example on the pitch. I probably would have been a bit more vocal than Kira would be. I don't know. You've played with her, so. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean that's my impression. Like, uh, Kira never led me. So I don't know what she would be really like in a leadership role, but she was fearsome on the pitch and that's where she did most of her talking. Fiona would be chatting all the time in the <laughs> in the dressing rooms and on the pitch. You never heard her, you know, <laughs> shut up at all. But like Kira or Junior, it's weird calling her Kira, Junior, um, no, she'd really lead by example. Like you'd follow her into the trenches um, and wherever she goes, you'd go. So that's, that's how I imagine she would lead, but I'm sure she has, you know, a few words, but they'd be really, really powerful. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of new faces in the squad. Is it seven that have been named um, in the team against England? What's the role of the the senior players? You know, with those those youngsters and trying to kind of coach them or, or get them through the game. Well, I I think it's probably been happening all the way through camps. Um, you know, bringing them in and just ma- making them feel part of it and giving them a certain level of ownership as well because. You know, they're fresh eyes, they're new eyes, but they're important eyes as well. And what they they might see something different that might be hugely yeah. valuable to the squad. So I'm sure that that's been done in training camps or the November internationals that they brought them in and made them feel a huge part of it. And, you know, I suppose the key thing is mistakes are going to happen. And, you know, for the first caps, I think if you make a mistake in your first cap, you kind of probably let it dwell. So it's important that they get over that and move on because at international rugby, you don't have time to be dwelling on, on anything that you, any mistakes you make. But, um, you know, I, I think... There's probably a good synergy there. Obviously missing a few experienced players through injury, the likes of Lindsay Pete and yeah. Kira Connor, Kleena. Um, so that's that's tough when you lose those experienced players because you do need experienced players to bring the younger ones in. But when you have the likes of Claire Malloy, who's just probably one of the best players in the world still and uh, junior there. And, you know, I think they will help bring them on. Yeah, absolutely. And like even Leah... You know, she might she might be a young one, but she's, you know, working away, working hard in uh, England. It's her chance to step up to the yeah. plate and really lead from the front for that front row. She's a good few years experience as well. Like no, she's played all the way up. So, like that's yeah. that's what we're seeing yeah. now is we're seeing these girls come in having played all the way up as opposed to just taking up the game in college. So, you know, they, they know what it's about then mm. at, a, at a young age. Will the home game add more pressure to them or? I know. Like to the I, new ones? Yeah. Oh, I don't know about a home I, game. No. no, I don't know. I guess everyone's different. Mm. Like you're so, or I think my first cap anyway. I you're so focused on the numerous jobs that you have to do that you kind of just focus on that. I guess you're kind of oblivious to what's going on around you because, well, I don't know. Maybe it's different for the backs, but definitely in the forwards, <laughs> there was lineouts, there was scrums, there was malls, there was all the different moves, all the different calls. And you're kind of focused, I imagine, on the process and the job. And I think it's it's nice for them that their family are definitely yeah. going to be there. You know, when it's an away game, it's probably, you're finding out last minute that you're in the squad. So it's difficult for family to get there. So it, it's nice the family yeah. and club mates are there to see them getting their first cap and supporting them. And um, oh, there's nothing like playing mm. under lights and yeah. at home. Yeah. Ailish, you were one of the team back in 2014 who kind of stayed on when there was a kind of a, a, a group of... The old guard had retired. Fiona, you stepped away. Lynn Cantwell, uh, Philip Doyle, of course. Um, and the team now, two years on from World Cup, are still kind of, I imagine, 
renegotiating those dynamics. So big personalities such as yourself, Spence, Nora, stepped away from the game. Um, how do you think that's going for them? What does it take to refocus a squad? Well, even though like we stepped away, like I think those big personalities are still there, just in different form. Like Malloy is always a presence and is always a force on and off the pitch. You have Junior, you have like so Lindsay Pete, um, you know, so they are still there. Um, it just like I guess it just takes a while for some of those players or different players to step up into a leadership role. Like it'll be good to see Ali Miller back um, to maybe take a lead in the backs. Although I think like the likes of Ema and Sene have done a brilliant job um, in the last season. So I think it takes a while to, I guess, get out of the shadow of some of those like senior players and do your own thing. Um, and do it your own way and recreate a squad because that squad that was there you know, it changes and you have to, I guess you have to go with that and be excited about it. And likewise, new coaching, like yeah. it's only really second season in and um, the whole new management structure. So they're finding their feet as well and the way that they want the team to play and trying to find the best players available to them. Um, so I think that's an interesting dynamic as well. And, you know, Adam has obviously come through Leinster as a coach uh, and now he's in with Ireland. So he's getting exposed to players that he hadn't met before throughout the other provinces. So it's going to be interesting to see how that beds down again, second mm. year in. And it's a weird one. Like, you know, the way rugby works in this country, we don't have very many fixtures. So you have, what, five games in the Six Nations and maybe one Autumn International. So it's like six, maybe seven, maybe eight games mm. a year to try and come up with different combinations, new combinations, I think it's actually an impossible task. So at a, at in a, a way, whole different level than club and interpros. Like yeah. the level of international is so far above either of those. Yeah. Like that's a huge step up for players and coach to get the players up to that standard as well. So for those of us that aren't AIL junkies, um, is there kind of any newbies into the squad that play in the league that you know are ones to watch out for? You give us a bit of an insight into. Ah, oh, yeah. Well, my two. They're my two, uh, well, I, I guess I coach them now. Uh, Linda, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce her surname. Uh, no. I'll have uh, it for Friday. I'll yeah. have it nailed for Friday night. <laughs> um, young, dynamic prop. Um, uh, just She's just converted from back row. Um, she is probably a new generation sort of kind of prop, I guess, more in the sort of realms of Lindsay Pete. Very dynamic ball carrier. Will be a massive impact from the bench if we can get her on the ball has a huge future and I'm excited to see how her scrummaging develops and hopefully they give her a chance to develop it over the Six Nations and just give her a give her a go because she's fit, she's athletic, um, she just needs experience. So she's an old Belvo player? Yes. <laughs> she, um, she did make a difference. She made an impact when she came on in the war friendly, I suppose, against Wales there a couple weeks ago. Obviously her scrummaging is going to need a lot of work. Mm. She's moved from the back row in there, but definitely on the ball she is exciting and she's kind of one of those players that will suck in a lot of the defence to create yeah. for other people. Yeah, and then another one, another old Belvo player, uh, Catherine Dane, uh, someone I played with at club level and I've I've said it to a couple of Irish coaches in the past that she should have been brought in. So I think she has one of the best passes of the game. Very, very in intelligent player. Um, for a young girl, and I was playing with her when she was like 18 or 19. She has like high intelligence, really good game awareness, something that I haven't really seen since Tanya Rossa. So I'm delighted they're bringing her in and I hope she gets a run out. And I hope that continues throughout the Six Nations. I think if you look at players that have been in form for the Interpros and 
club game Michelle Caffey in the centres has been on form I know mm-hmm. it's her second season but I think she's upped her game so it'll be interesting to see whether she can keep that sustained uh, at international level um, and then I think throughout the Six Nations we might see other players brought in I thought Anya Breen did really well at 13 mm-hmm. last week she just did the basics just really really well for a young player and um, you know she could do a, a job there if she's given an opportunity as well yeah. and I thought um, Lauren and Ema acquitted themselves really well against England in the autumn um, Ema in particular I think has really stepped it up defensively defensively like, which would have probably been an area that you would have said was a weakness in her game and she yeah. takes a year out goes to Australia and comes back with a like she's come back a different player yeah. and she's a huge leader in that back line now and that back three and if we can get her on the ball more and if she can lead that defence um, I'm, yeah I'm excited to see how they roll it's Kira Griffin's junior. It's junior second year as captain. Um, and you've told us a little bit about her, her kind of her style playing alongside her. Um, and by all accounts, she's a hugely respected captain and was a hugely respected player. Uh, but she's still so young. She was made captain in 2016. Uh, and she'd only been capped 17 times for Ireland when she was captain. Although I say only because it's only in relation to Fiona's like 85 caps or something <laughs> ridiculous. Um. But that still is very kind of young and early for uh, a player to be made captain. Um, Having played alongside her, what do you think her X factor is? I guess she's just a hugely passionate person. Um, She's very engaging. But she also is very approachable, which I think is fundamental for any captain. Um, I guess anyone who's met Fiona would probably argue, (laughs) is she approachable? She actually is. Um, But you have to have those different qualities to like manage a team because it's not only on the pitch, it's off the pitch that you're dealing with people. And that's where I think uh, Junior is great. But it's her passion on the pitch. It's her hard work, her work ethic, you know, in training, um, on the pitch, in everything that she does. She does actually very much like Fiona does all those 1%, 2%, tries to get the most out of everything. Um, if you have someone doing that, everyone will follow by example. And that's where I think Junior, that's yeah. what she has. I think she has, like she was training away on her own down, down in... Yeah, on the farm. On the farm, like, but, you know, to be that dedicated on your own, it's always hard to get up in the morning. But at least in a group, you know, there's going to be other people and if you're not there, they're going to question you. But she was doing it on her own and um, I think that's really impressive. And her trips up to Limerick are on her own to play for UL Bows mm-hmm. and um, she just... She wants. She wanted it. She wanted to play international, and she made made it happen. And I, I think that's what comes through every time she plays. Excellent. So, yeah, England on Friday, currently ranked number two in the world. They were recently handed twenty eight pro contracts from their federation. How will that have affected their preparation? I don't think it'll make a huge difference because they'll have only had a few weeks together. Um, I think as the tournament goes on, you'll probably see more of an impact because they'll have better recovery time. They won't be going into work on a Monday morning. They'll get to sleep. <laughs> all those things that we all missed during the Six Nations and I'm sure the girls will. will. Um, but I don't think it'll have... No, they've only not, been in, they've only been yeah. pro since January. So um, I think the bigger impact is the, their sevens players coming back into the fold. The likes of yeah. Emily Scarrett, Mohunt and Jess Breach. Um, particularly the likes of Scarrett, Scarrett and Mohunt. Yeah. Like their leadership and world-class players as well. So... Um, I think that'll have a more of an immediate impact than the fact that they're all gone pro. And what about the Irish team? Give us a quick insight. 6am gym sessions are in? Oh yeah. Um, even earlier, you're starting at 6, so you're in earlier than into work. And then you could be doing double up sessions. You could be back on the pitch that night and you could be doing that two, three times a week, depending on the schedule of the week. And then, then the last couple and then your extras, your individual off feet. Um, and then weekends, you're in camp for two days. So um, 
Yeah, like it's tough. You have to be incredibly organised. You have to probably get someone to do your shopping and your laundry because there's just no time to do it. Is that what you had? Yes, my mammy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, when he was announcing uh, the team to to face England, Adam Griggs said there is no bigger challenge than to open the Six Nations against England. It's a pretty big game to start the campaign off with. How will that affect the mentality of the players in the dressing room? We kind of touched on this earlier. Do you think they'll be hungry for it itching for it or will there be nerves yeah both both yeah but I think bar 2014 World Cup semi-final Ireland always raised their game to England it's always a good game they put in a performance against England and I think that's what the Irish girls need to be looking at is that performance and we saw it in the November internationals they played USA they were poor a week later they changed their game and it was actually a good performance for them I it know was, it was really good but I think key to that was that for the first 30 minutes they fell asleep altogether in that autumn international they let England come at them they were like rabbits in headlights type scenario that cannot happen on Friday that cannot happen they have to go out like all guns blazing um, give them hell in that 30 minutes because you can't let England in otherwise you're chasing a game and it's never going to happen mm. so what will be a good result is, is a win likely I don't think so. I don't think a win's likely, but I'd like to see a good performance and building on from what they what they did um, in November. If and they can if they can if they can go toe to toe and set piece, and they can still throw the ball wide and have a crack at them, I think that shows improvement and shows that the game plan's working. Yeah, and like their set piece has been strong over the yeah. last couple of years, so I think it's important that they keep that standard there, that their set piece continues to be strong because it's a brilliant launch pad for them. Um, and then just work on their structures and what the way that Adam's trying to play. He is trying to play an expansive game um, and it's just executing it now for them. The team gave a pretty dominant performance in their warm-up game against Wales and in that game they won by a 10-point ten, margin. Um, what were your impressions after that game? First of all, those those games, you can't read too much into them because over the years you could win one and go out and be beaten by Wales the next week. And, you know, there's so much chopping and changing. Like Ireland had, whatever, 26 players to play. Wales, their first half, they I didn't know one player in the pitch. The second half, they brought on some of their, their older heads and more experienced head changed the game. But in fairness, Ireland came back into it even stronger for the last 10, 15 minutes, which was impressive. Again, I think they were dominant in set piece. I thought they worked through the phases really well and were patient, but they weren't under a huge amount of pressure from Wales. Um, I thought Ireland struggled. I thought I think Ellen Murphy was playing well. She debuted against England when Nikki Coy got injured. She plays really flat, bring players into the game, but she had no kicking game out, and that was something they struggled against England for. So I think that's why Nicole Fowley is starting. So it'll be interesting to see how she goes. She did make a difference um, in the second half when she kicked the ball a little bit more when she came on. So um, yeah, I, I think it's about patience, building those phases, being strong in the set piece, which there was definitely signs of in the Welsh game. Um, but to be honest with those warm-up games, I, I really don't read too much into them because honestly, performance could flip in a week with them. And as players watching the, that game, did you feel like there was kind of any areas of, of improvement or things they needed to work on? Yeah, like I think you're always um, looking for things to work on. That's how you get better. But, you know, I, I think players stood up. Uh, obviously, Sene Nupu was missing. Michelle Claffey really took that leadership role mm-hmm. uh, in that 10, kind of 12, 13 kind of channel with two young players either side of her. Um, you know, the pack, Claire Malloy, Kira Griffin, and then Jules Short in the first half, or Anna Caplice. And, um, you know, I just thought players that came on made a difference. They put their hand up for selection, you know, and um, which is always good to see that people are given an opportunity to put their hand up for selection. So 
I think it's going to be a whole different ball game though on Friday night. Um, you know, Wales just weren't at the races at all. The pressure they're going to be under from England, both in attack and defence, is going to be completely different to what they experienced last week. Stepping back away, just to take a bit of a broader look of the Six Nations campaign overall, um, what would make this a successful Six Nations campaign for us? What are the leadership team, do you guys think, kind of identifying as the key and achievable wins for the squad? I think it probably needs to be improved on last year um, and probably probably beat um, Wales, Italy and Scotland. I think that would be a success. And then I think putting in performances against France and England. Yes, if we got a win, brilliant. But I think realistically, that is what we should be aiming for. And it's it's very achievable. Yeah, like that would give us a third place finish again. We yeah. finished third place last year, but we only won two games. You know, and that game against Scotland was hugely disappointing last year. There are three away games that we have to win, but I think it's within this squad to win them if they perform. Mm. So you're basically looking for five performances. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, like if you're saying you want to win those games, you have to you perform, have to, perform. Yeah, to win yeah. those games and then you want the performance against England and France. And so head coach Adam Griggs is still fairly new to the role. Can you give us an insight into the type of coach he is? Um, again, I was, I've never been coached under him. He comes across as hugely enthusiastic to have him come through coaching Leinster um, and then stepping into the Irish role. I think it's brilliant as opposed to just being parachuted straight in that he knows the structures. He knew what he was dealing with uh, the standards that he was dealing with, are, it's a tough task. Like yeah. we talk about player based numbers, the standards they're at. So he's a tough task, first of all, to pick the best 23 available to him to go out and perform. But he seems a really positive guy. I think he's just trying to develop that country and get the buy in from the players, which takes time. And, um, mm. you know, you're getting to know each other uh, both on and off the pitch, which is really important. And I think I think sometimes not enough emphasis is put on off the pitch, getting to know each but, other. Yeah. And that's what I really liked about Adam. So that was probably what was missing from since 2014. Not enough emphasis was placed on that, getting to know each other off the pitch, um, all that team bonding stuff um, and building that culture and building that, like, well, yeah, whatever it is, that magic that's what he's doing. That's the vibe I'm getting. Um, that takes he, time. And that takes time. But I think he's doing the right thing. Everything he did with Leinster seems to be, he's sort of replicating that in Ireland. Um, and there generally seems to be a good vibe. So that's that's always a good sign. That's really interesting. It was um, after kind of a, a disappointing performance in a home World Cup and after which Tom Tierney resigned um, and then kind of famously Irish rugby covered themselves in glory by announcing that they were replacing Tierney with a part-time coach on a six-month contract. Um, and it was a really hard time for the girls in Irish rugby and for the girls in the squad. It was really demoralising and I imagine... So kind of coming back away from that, it sounds like Adam Griggs is really rebuilding morale and really kind of focusing on the culture of the team, like you said, was really important for, for 2014. How do they go about doing that, do you think? Well, I like to be honest, when I saw, I think I saw an Instagram story and I think they were building like a sort of spaghetti tower or they were building some sort of like, you know, to protect an egg those kind of team building games which I remember at the time when I started uh, in 2011 being like oh my god I cannot be believe I'm being made to do these things but that's how you get to know people mm. it's either that or you go for a pint obviously you can't really go for a pint because you're training so that's how you get to talk to people otherwise you end up just hanging out with the same sort of four or five people you don't get the newer people don't get involved with you know the older people and like you just don't build that camaraderie. 
Yeah, I think yeah. like I had issues in your camp that the Dublin based players went home on a Saturday night yeah. and uh, the people from the country or abroad like stayed in a hotel and I was like, no, everyone needs to be together mm-hmm. because they're really valuable hours. You know, you can only get do so much on the pitch and have so much time on the pitch, but they're really valuable hours like off the pitch yeah. that you're getting to know each other and doing stupid things, making up songs. Yeah, and, you absolutely. Know, but they're um, actually the best memories as well. Yeah, or pranking honest. each other, you yeah. know, just stupid things. But you do, you get to know what makes people tick, you know, why they're there. And like, yeah, everyone's there to win. But like what really motivates someone, you don't find out that on the pitch. You find out it off the pitch and um, different personalities. Like you need different personalities. Uh, you need the quiet people over in the corner that freak me out sometimes. <laughs> um, Is that Eilish? No, no, most certainly not. <laughs> uh, you need like the crazy people like Claire Malloy up there that... Uh, you know, you need all those different type of personalities to make a squad tick, but that that they can gel together. Like you don't need to be the best of friends, but you need to get on to a certain level. Yeah, or at least understand each other, mm. and that's what I and respect each other. Yeah, and I th- I think that's the kind of culture that Adam's bringing, which I think will help in you know performances and where you're playing against teams where there's maybe five points in it. Those are the times where you need to know each other. You need to know the person either side of you. Um, that's yeah, that's crunch time. There's a lot of crossover between the sevens and the fifteens. Uh, there's some players playing for both uh, codes, and then you've got Coach Griggs, who's on the coaching staff for the sevens too. Uh, what impact does that have on the fifteens game? Does it bring kind of fresh set of skills? Um, I'm I'm really torn on it. Still, it's it's all one program, one big happy program, supposedly. Um, but I, it just everything that's done, all decisions that made, it just seems that sevens is prioritised every time. So we look now. Obviously, sevens have um, World Series, which is really important. Like to look for rankings to potentially get straight into Olympics, which I don't think it's going to happen because it's top four and things like that. There's lots of permutations. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the likes of like Young Baven Parsons, obviously capped at sixteen in fifteens. As a 16-year-old in the 15s game in November, she's obviously in school. I thought she would go to sevens eventually. I just didn't think it would happen so quickly just because she's not up here training, time away from school like that. But now she's gone. Also, I think probably potentially one of the best 10s in the country. We haven't seen her play 15s yet in young Eve Higgins. Like, I followed her all the way through since she was playing underage. She was playing with the boys, then coming through. We haven't seen her at all. And, you know, when... We've been lacking kind of a 10 since Nora's gone. You know, the girls are stepping in to learn their own now. She's the most natural fit to it. And we just haven't seen her. And I don't know if we will ever see her, um, which is hugely disappointing. Also, it's very tough. The Sevens girls are obviously away in Sydney. Um, How many of them are going to come back into the squad? Maybe not having trained with the squad, getting to know the squad. Like those kind of things, I think, causes disruption. And when the 15 squad don't know when these players are going to be parachuted back in, you know, I, I think it kind of disrupts the I suppose, the culture of the squad for these players that haven't been involved. So I don't know how much training those seven girls have been. They were named in the squad, but I actually don't know how much training they've done with them. Yeah, and it's it's also very hard, I think, on the sevens girls. Like, it's a very different game. So to go from, you know, playing over in Sydney to then, you know, coming in and playing, you know, in the Six Nations, two very different games. I guess very similar skill sets in a way, but like totally totally different you've got you know less space you're under more pressure mm. um so i just think it's a very hard ask i haven't seen it i don't think it's successfully happened where you know players have gone from France, one to the maybe. other yeah new but, zealand the Porsche woodman but it no wasn't. no i mean from I- irish players okay, yeah. crossing over i think yeah like the likes of new zealand um the french players who go back and forth as well but maybe they're just 
and maybe they're just a different class. I'm not sure. I don't even know about different classes. I just think different structures work for different countries. Yeah. So we need to find something that works for us. Is the current system working for us? I don't think so. Well, I don't think it's working for the 15s game. Sevens have definitely mm. improved. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had some really good performances in the last two tournaments mm. and hopefully they'll continue to improve as well. But that's because I think they're being prioritised. That's it's really interesting that you say that we haven't found a structure that that works for us yet because obviously we had the independent review group that was set up after the uh, the the World Cup and the aim of that was to evaluate the women's game at all levels um, and then as a result of that the Women in Rugby initiative was launched um, with the aim of growing women's the women's game in Ireland um, and it was a fairly ambitious plan when it was launched. Um, do you think we're seeing the impact of that? Yes, or the impact of that on this squad, maybe? No, I think it's too no. soon. I okay. think that's yeah, yeah. A, a long-term thing. It's a um, five-year thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think it. I, I think, think it's some of longer. it's. Yeah, I think some of okay. it's a bit too ambitious. But hey, I'd rather be ambitious and that we've targets to aim for. Um, you know, there is some elements that have improved the expo- the media coverage of the game. The IFU's own coverage of like the AIL and stuff has been very good, and they've really mm. incorporated that. Um, but I think it's too soon before we see. that growth in numbers that we need and that's a huge problem like the numbers playing in Ireland is quite low so that has a knock-on effect to the numbers available at national level and the standards there are threats so that's kind of a big big gap and it's really at underage that's where you need to see that growth so it's underage schools rugby there's been loads in fairness there has been been a growth in that but to see that impact then at national level I think will take longer than five years Um, yeah like we need we need a good number of years of that growing to really see that impact, and then hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe at some point we'll see underage representative uh, Irish rugby, which would be great. And as part of the Women in Rugby program, the IRFU gave itself the goal of growing women's repre- representatives to a minimum of twenty percent, specifically including coaches, referees, and committees. It's only one year into that five-year plan, but what are your impressions of how it's gone? I know Ailish, you're coaching. Yeah, I am. I don't really believe there are many opportunities for uh, female coaches out there. Okay. Um, I don't see that changing. I'm just coaching in the club that... In what regards I'm, that you're not supported to, or just to where you want to go? Like, what's the next progression? Yeah, what's what the path? Is, what is the path? What is, like, you know, especially for an ex-international player, you know, what is what is the coaching path like we came out and we do a we do our level one mm-hmm. i know that male rugby players go and they get leapfrogged into level two so it's just interesting that yeah. that's kind of where we're seen and where they're seen um and then i guess you know it's for the rfu to put pressure on clubs maybe to open up opportunities for women not just to coach and this is what i really hate i hate that we're pigeonholed into and i love coaching women but, you know, I'd love the opportunity to coach men and mm-hmm. that we're just coaches and that we, you know, we're not just there to coach women um, and that we yeah. should be given the opportunity to coach as well. Like, you know, Tanya's coaching uh, the men uh, J1s in Clontarf okay. and Hayes, Fee Hayes is in Dolphin. Um, and I think it's great the clubs are getting behind them, but it'd be great to see other clubs do yeah. so. Like and similarly enough with refereeing, I think they have put a huge emphasis on now it's women to step forward and actually referee. I do think there is good pathways. You know, obviously Helen and Joy have paved the way in that sense, and we're seeing more and more women 
refereeing in the club. You know, every week I'd go down to Clontarf mm. and I'm like, oh, who's that now? There's a new face, which is really positive. And, but I think they struggle even in the men's game to get enough referees yeah. out because obviously it's a huge time constraint. So, but there has been programmes implemented. Each of the branches are really focusing on it. So I think that's positive. The governance level, I, I just don't know how it's going to work because to get on IRFU committee, the men's pathway is quite long. You go through your club, you go through your branch, then you're onto the national committee. They've co-opted two women on. In order to hit that 20%, do they co-opt more women on or what? what's the best way to do it? Um, so I, I'm interested to see how that plays out because fundamentally, unless we have a voice at the top table, I think it's going to affect everything uh, further down. But... I, I'm I'm interested to see how they're going to get twenty percent go on national mm. national level. But sorry, likewise, more women have to come forward and put themselves on committees as well and make themselves yeah. available for committees, um, and then be supported in, in that as well. Yeah, it's I mean thinking about these things in in terms of a cycle. So like a strategic plan is great because it gives you a target, um, and a World Cup is kind of similar to that because they're a three or a four year cycle. So they're uh, enough time to kind of make some changes um, and make significant changes, but not so much time that you lose momentum for making those changes. Ideally, like give us some blue sky daydreaming thinking here. What are the changes that you guys would like to see in place before the next World Cup cycle? Well, from a club's perspective, we really need to see the level of the club game rise because I think that will have a direct impact on the standards of players available at, at international level. That will only come if clubs take ownership. It's not about the IRFU implementing something. It's about clubs taking ownership. And if you look at clubs that have taken ownership, their women's team have improved significantly. And to be fair to the IRFU, they are giving incentive to um, clubs to um, back the women's section. So they are increasing, well, they're giving coaching coaching grants, coaching grants, that's wrong, coaching Bursaries, whatever, bursaries, whatever, whatever they're called, <laughs> um, to ensure that um, AIL, I think it's AIL clubs, will have a certain level of coaching, um, like money like that 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 wasn't available for the women. So that'll, I think, will have a huge impact. Yeah, hopefully, I, on the game, if we get the quality. But I of hope coaches. it's not driven from a money sense, because then you'll have clubs saying, "Oh, we're going to do that to get the money." So I would love if the clubs see the value in in having a women's section and driving it yeah. for not just having a women's section for the value that it brings to the club and the community. But I, I do think that's changing across the country. Like I do think in general there's a sort of, um, I know that women's team, women's sections have revitalised clubs, clubs that were dying mm-hmm. in um, like in the country and women have come into the club, they've stepped up from like from their section to stepped up to have more of a role mm-hmm. within the club sort of general structure and that's had a huge impact on the club that they've now seen growing numbers and I'm hoping that that will continue. I don't know. That's my impression anyway. Yeah, no, uh, hopefully, um, I think it's the clubs really have to, ta- have to take that ownership. And I've seen the positive nature when clubs do, what the effect has on the club and then the players stepping up to, to national level. With regards to the national team, well, first of all, we need to qualify for the next World Cup. Um, that's huge. That's not going to happen in this Six Nations because that's not part of the qualification process which hasn't been decided yet. So we don't know whether it's going to be next year's Six Nations or a European competition with... So that's in discussion at the moment with World Rugby and uh, Rugby Europe. So that'll be interesting to see how actually Ireland will qualify for the next World Cup. Yeah. Wow. I, I wasn't aware of the uh, the qualification procedure. Well, see, it's changed. Yeah. So the, for the last World Cup, it, obviously Ireland had qualified based on 2014. 
But uh, Scotland and Spain had to play off, didn't they? They had some sort of tournament. Yeah, they had a, a European tournament because Scotland were the lowest of the Six Nations team. So Wales and Italy got through. From yeah, because they were fourth, fifth. Yeah, and then Scotland had to play off through Spain to get in. So if that's now changed, so, well, it could be next year's Six Nations. We don't know. It was based on two years the last time. So it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out. And Ailish, you retired after the 2017 World Cup. Had that been on your mind that that was going to be your last one or? Uh, yeah. Tough three years without me, I'd say. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, I like, had kind of struggled for a year or two. Um, my dad unfortunately passed away in 2015, um, late 2015. And it was kind of from then onwards, I kind of struggled from in motivation slash okay. whether I needed to be there, wanted to be there. Um, so I gave 2017 kind of was my, my target um, in my head. Um, and... Yeah, so I I I I kind of had already decided. I was just like, there's there's a few more things in life I wanted to do, and yeah. you know, I'd been at it for like fortunately had a great run for seven seven seasons, I think, with the national side. So I thought it was it was time. I couldn't do the the thirteen that Fiona did. I don't really know how she did that, but <laughs> are you holding the record? Oh no! Well, I, I say Malloy's up there now. Malloy, yeah, Malloy. When she came in, two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah, so she, she probably by the time she retires, she'll uh, she'll have suppressed everything. And there's no sign of her flagging yet. Like, <laughs> no, like she's, she's not tired in that girl. No, she's she's ridiculous. She's a machine. Like she really is a machine. Um, I think I think because it's an amateur sport, you kind of do work in a World Cup cycle almost. Yeah. Like depending on what you've what's happened beforehand and whether you've played enough rugby. But would you if you didn't stop in 2017? Would you see yourself through to a foot, another four year cycle? Is it beneficial for you? But indeed, the squad, if you stay, and I suppose that was my think in 2014. Yeah, I'd probably get a year. Well, actually, if I knew it was in home World Cup, <laughs> I might have stayed until then. But um, are you going to get another four years out of you? Is it more beneficial for the squad for you to step away and let someone new blood in? Yeah, and I guess like for me anyway, like you know, I had two Six Nations medals, got to a semi final. Um, had done some amazing things, and I was like, actually, mm. can't really top that. So, yeah. like, I could, I couldn't commit to another four years, and I, I don't think it's right either to only commit to a year or two years. Like, yeah. I think you have to commit yourself to that World Cup cycle because there are so few games. Um, you know, year on year, you're taking that opportunity mm. away from somebody. Making so. that decision can be hard at the right time because if you do end up going another few years and it kind of turns bad yeah you're left with those memories as well so yeah I, th I think it was Lynn who actually said that at one point that like very few people are able to choose when they retire like we were very lucky mm. to be able to step back you yeah. know it wasn't injury I yeah. wasn't dropped you know it was it was the right time yeah. you stayed very much involved with rugby since you made the the decision about how and when you wanted to end your career with Ireland. Um, what have been some of your highlights about your new ventures with rugby so far? In terms of coaching, um, I guess. Well, I, well I, I've always loved coaching. Um, I actually really enjoy coaching uh, beginners. So I coach our seconds team. Um, <laughs> so it's a complete challenge. And I'm coaching people who... Um, you know, have never played sports to people who want to go and play for our first and want to play for Ireland. Um, I enjoy, yeah, like I've, I, so I enjoy from helping the likes of Linda with her scrummaging, um, to then helping someone learn how to catch and just 
you know, have fun. Didn't and... think they could teach that. I missed that. Class. <laughs> those fundamental but, skills should yeah, have been taught fun- in school. Yeah, but um, like I started playing rugby because of my club and because I wanted to make friends and I wanted to have the crack. And that's what I enjoy most is trying to give back that. I sometimes think we get very, very serious. And maybe in my seven years away when I was you know, playing for Ireland, you get very serious and very like in your routine and your processes and you kind of forget sort of why you played um, and what makes you love rugby. And that's what what I've enjoyed um, going back to club and doing. Fiona, one thing we love about you is your commentary. Um, You still talk about the girls as if you were part of the squad. She spies everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Where can we hear these insight next? What media coverage are you doing on the Six Nations? Yeah, thankfully, Orti, you're showing all, all the games. So, um, you know, that's brilliant to, to see the games on air and get more exposure out there. So doing the co-coms for them as well. And, you know, in fairness, Orti have been really positive. Um, they've given me the under, one of the under-20s games and the men's AIL club and the cup game and uh, a couple of appearances on Against the Head as well. So, um, you know, I love the game. Um, I've struggled in the World Cup commenting on the girls because I just knew that well, what they were capable of and I just wasn't seeing it so I really struggled but since then the World Cup final I loved and I just kind of have kind of enjoyed it since then but um, I, di- I did struggle in the World Cup just know you're seeing teammates and friends not playing the way you know they're yeah. capable of playing so I probably was a bit too close in, in that sense whereas now with this squad the only person I've really played Malloy with Malloy and Ali Malloy and Ali yeah um, you know probably played a bit of Leinster with some of the girls yeah, with yeah. Claff and stuff but I, I didn't international level just the two of them so I'm a bit further removed so um, it's I'm not as emotionally attached to to the players So one final question for both of you we're going to take uh, the focus off the Ireland squad and just look at the Six Nations campaign more generally uh, if you had to pick one game in particular that you were absolutely dying to watch one matchup who would it be between? Oh, it has to be France, France England, England. Yeah, yeah, their game last year in Six Nations, brilliant. Um, France came out winners at home in front of a huge crowd. France's performance... Against New Zealand was out of this world. Like, yeah. I think France, like... The only thing I will say is France are now going to England. So France travelling yeah. is typical French. It'll depend on the weather, it'll depend what mood they're in, what they had for dinner. <laughs> they also have lost a few players to the sevens, sevens, whereas England have players back from the sevens. So... It's kind of going to be that balance, but they were unbelievable, unbelievable. against New Zealand and they've some amazing and they, athletes. And they just play a lovely, it's classic French. Jouet, jouet. Jouet, jouet. Yeah, <laughs> and they're just a great team to watch. Um, now I'm excited to see where they go because I just think they, they're they on trajectory just up. So it'll be really exciting to see how they get on against England. Well, thank you for... Uh coming in and giving us your time and your insights today in Fair Game HQ uh, you can follow Fiona uh, at Coughlin Fiona on Twitter and Ailish at Ailish Egan on Twitter um, for some because we're riveting on Twitter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for news views and opinions hopefully about the women's game uh, and the Six Nations campaign guys thanks so much for coming in cheers thanks cheers, million. Thanks. and you can follow us on Twitter too at Fair Game Cast there's so much live action involving Irish sports women to look forward to in the coming months that's where we provide you with all the necessary information to keep you in the loop and hopefully get you onto the sidelines. And then finally, a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're listening to us on, be it iTunes, Android, Stitcher or Spotify. That way you'll get the next one directly to your advice. That's all for this episode. We'll chat to you again in two weeks' time.
This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Head to Court Furniture Clearance Center for up to 70% off new retail prices. Stock is updated regularly, so you never know what kind of treasures you'll find. We offer a wide variety of stylish furniture for any budget, and every piece is court certified, so you can let your personality show in every room. And now through April 3rd is our tax refund sale. Mention refund 25 and take 25% off living room and dining room sets. Use your refund and refresh your home with stylish finds from Court Furniture Clearance Center. Go to courtclearancefurniture.com today.